Father God, we just want to say thank you for the opportunity to come and to pray and to sing and to just be a part of your body, to be a part of your church and to have salvation, forgiveness of sin, to be a part of your kingdom and to be your child. Jesus, I pray for every man and woman in this room, for every young person to old person. God, that you would speak into our hearts this morning and you would remind us of how much you truly love us. That you would remind us of the price you paid for us. And Lord, the fact that you have an amazing inheritance in eternity waiting for us. Lord, as we gather, we, we pray for this time together. But God, we also pray for our brothers and sisters. And Lord, we, we receive prayer requests so much for people with physical needs. And Lord, we lift those up to you. But God, I pray that as believers in Christ this morning, that we would not only pray for physical things, but God, we would also be concerned about the spiritual. Lord, that no matter what ailment we have, no matter how much it is healed, that eventually every one of us will still pass from this earth and be with you. But Jesus, we pray for our family and our friends and our loved ones who just, they don't know you. And they haven't surrendered to you and they haven't called on you for forgiveness of sin. Because God, it doesn't matter what physical thing you heal. Lord, if they don't receive you, there's no hope. There's nothing better beyond this world. But God, if we give ourselves to you, we have so much more to look forward to. God, I pray that you'd speak into our hearts and minds and remind us personally of that today for our own good and benefit. But God, that you would also speak that into our lives so that we would be concerned about our fellow brothers and sisters who just aren't where they need to be with you. God, give us a desire in our heart to witness and minister to them and lift them up in prayer. But God, it has to start in our hearts first before we can help others do it. So I pray that you would speak to us today and help us to grow and mature in our faith with you. Lord, we love you today. We're so grateful for the opportunity to be here. And I ask that you would speak and work and move in a powerful way. We love you. And we ask all this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning, we're finishing up our series talking about how we're more than animals. Over the past three weeks, we've talked about how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. But at the same time, how God is still making us. The expectation of God is still wanting to work and move in our lives and change who we are because we can be better through the power and the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. The second week, we talked about how the message of the world um, devalues humanity. It, it wants to tell us that we're just animals. It wants to tell us to, to just be whatever you want to be and do whatever you want to do, and you're just born a certain way. But God um, very much pushes against that in the understanding of the fact that he loves us, that he paid a high price for us, and that he has redeemed us. 
And last week we talked about that natural instinct that lies within ourselves that as, as people, because we were born in this sinful world, that there is a nature inside of us that, that is sinful. And we're drawn to that. And Scripture tells us that as people, that there's going to be something inside of you that's going to be drawn to the sins that, that you are prone to. And everybody's different. Like for one person, it may be one thing. For another person, it might be something totally different. But there's something inside of you that is drawn to that sinful nature. And at the same time, there's that, that, that instinct that God has set in you that's so <clears throat> quiet and still and yet strong that every time you give in to that, you feel bad about it. And you feel guilty and you feel shame and you feel regret because... God is trying to teach us and lead us away from just giving in to our instinct, but to understand that we can be so much more. And today, um, in our final sermon, we're talking about the Jesus standard. And, and, you know, we don't talk about, I try not to talk about theology a whole lot because sometimes theology can just be, it's more, it's better set for a classroom a lot of times than it is in a sermon. But I feel like today, as we're talking about the, this understanding of how much God loves you, and the price that he paid for you and the value that he set on your life to understand the standard in which Jesus set for us and what he did in doing that is so valuable to our walks with Christ in every single day. And um, so we're talking about today this just the idea and the understanding that Jesus came in, in the physical body, in the flesh, to, to be everything that we need him to be so that you and I can have eternal life. And that may not sound like that big of a deal, but when you think about what that means and the price that he paid, I mean, that is so instrumental to our faith. And if you go and if like, if one of you was to decide, hey, I want to go into ministry, I'm, I'm going to go to seminary, one of the first classes you're going to take is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That's just a fancy word of saying that Jesus came in the flesh and you're going to take a whole semester class on that, talking about why it's so important that Jesus came in a physical human body to be the Savior of the world versus just staying as God and expecting us to live according to how he wants us to. So we're talking about that today. It's going to be a little deep, but I think it's going to be super valuable. And I think that we can get a lot out of it. So the standard in which Jesus came was not just to show us the value that he has placed on us as individuals because he, he bled and died for you. You were worth his very physical life. But at the same time, it sets the standard of the expectation for someone who has been bought. He's placed a value on you for what he was willing to pay for you, but now he's also set the standard of which you are to be. So he set the value of what you're worth, but he's also set the, set the standard of, of the expectations that he has for us as individuals, which is so important to understand as a believer because so many people just say, hey, I believe in Jesus, and then that's about it, and then there's nothing beyond that. But the truth is, is that there's, there's a great calling on every single one of our lives as Christians. So read with me John chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. And we're going to read what uh, the Apostle John wrote. So, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, even, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. 
not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. You know, we talked about being reborn, being made new, and underneath our own power and ability. We can't do that. Like, it has to come from the very power of God for us to be made a new creation to get out of this thing. So in verse 14, it says, So the Word, or you can substitute Jesus for the Word. So Jesus, or the Word, became human. In some of your translations we'll read, He became flesh. And made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And John, that's John the Baptist, testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another, for the law was given through Moses. But God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, that's Jesus, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. This passage is so important to the understanding of who Jesus Christ was, but yet who Jesus Christ still is. It's so important to understand that he is the very representation of God in our lives. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but when you look at Old Testament scripture and you read um, about the people who follow God and all the amazing things they did in the name of God, they did not have nearly the understanding of who God is as much as you and I do now with the coming of Christ. Like before Christ, we knew very little about God. We knew what God wanted and what God expected of us, but most people had no clue anything about God. You even look at the people of Israel, they were even afraid to approach the mountain upon which God's Spirit was dwelling in the wilderness. But because Jesus Christ comes, he reveals God to us in an amazing way. So I got four points for you this morning. And point number one is Jesus subjected himself to his creation. And this is, this is a pretty radical thing. Because a lot of times we as people, we like rules because rules keep people in check. But for most of us, we don't like the rules applying to us. Right? So, so, we, so we like for rules to be in place, but there's something about us as individuals where we love to kind of be beyond the rules, like being able to go behind the scenes and go places that other people can't go and do things that other people can't do. It makes us feel special. It makes us feel important. But I want you to imagine our creator, our heavenly father, who has all these characteristics about himself, Right? And so I'm going to throw out some terms this morning. Like you've probably heard pastors throw out these terms that God is omnipotent, which means God's all-powerful. Or he's omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. Or he's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all the time. And then there's some other things like God has eminence, which means he's not just everywhere at all times, but he's actually in all things at all times. So there is nothing that God is not in, that his spirit and his power is not in. And you think about the power upon which everything moves and works. 
Like you, you know this, like we have this limited understanding of this, of things that if you want something to move like your car, you got to put fuel in it, right? Like you got to put gas in it and everything has to be working properly for it to move. Or it's like some kind of electronic device, like it has to have electricity to power it to do what it's supposed to do. For you as an individual, you have to have that, that life force in you with food and water and all the proper things working properly for you to move and be active and do what it is that you're supposed to do. But God is in all things at all times. Like, and it's really interesting when you look at a lot of like scientists and stuff now, it used to be that there was like this, this understanding that we're all just material, we're all just made up of matter. But now there's like this fascinating aspect of people are measuring frequencies and they're talking about how like everything's made up of energy and like we're all energy. And it's like, it's pretty amazing that the Spirit of God is technically in all things. And even Jesus himself said that if the people stopped shouting his praises, even the rocks and trees would cry out to him. That even though maybe something might not even necessarily be moving and in motion, that God is still in it because it's his, his creation. And you guys know this, anything that you've ever made, that you've ever spent time making or doing, part of you is in that. Like you've invested yourself in it. And to understand this more, that God has invested himself in you. He created you. Every single person in this room, every single person in this world, God meticulously planned and made you to be who you are with your genes, with your parents, with, with everything that's in your life that made you who you are. God knew that and prepared that for you for a purpose and a reason. And when you look at these characteristics of God, and you think about how awesome and amazing that is, there's only one thing that's lacking. You know, there's one thing that God lacks limitation. God lacks limitation because he's all-knowing, he's all-present, he's all-powerful, he's unchangeable, he's all-wise, he's all-good, he's all-loving, he's all these things, he's infinite, but he has no limitation. And how amazing is it that we serve a God who has no limitation, who subjected himself to his creation to be limited by creation upon which we experience and we understand. A God who was all-powerful, who had no limitation, limited himself to come in the flesh in order to redeem you and I. And that may sound unimportant to some people, and there might be some of you here this morning, it's like, that's really amazing. Because the understanding of what Jesus Christ did for you and I, of he subjected himself to limitations, to be less than what he was, so that he could come and purchase you and I, so that we could be redeemed, that we could have a relationship with God, but also that you and I could have eternal life. That's how much he loved us. And in Hebrews chapter 2, Verses 14 to 15, the author writes, Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death, and only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. When you read New Testament Scripture, there's just 
Tons of passages of scripture just reaffirm this whole aspect of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh and the price that he paid to free us. And every single person in this room, whether we want to admit it or not, there's been times where we've sit around and we've thought about our deaths. Because we know as people, that day comes for us all. We've probably at some point in time contemplated it. You've sit down, you've worried about it, you wonder like, Am I going to be old or am I going to be young? Am I going to suffer? Like, what's this going to be like? And there's just great fear in our life of what that moment holds. Will that be it? What will be on the other side? What's going to happen? And there's a fear in that. But what's amazing is, is that Jesus Christ, one of the things that he talks about setting us free of is this fear of dying. Now, I will say that once you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, it's not like on day one, you're like, I'm not afraid of dying anymore. Because you're still young in your faith, you're still figuring it out, you're still growing your relationship with the Lord. But it is amazing at how the more you grow in your relationship with the Lord, and the older you get, the more you come to terms with the fact that, you know, um, I'm, this is going to happen whether I want it to or not. You just kind of start rationalizing from a spiritual perspective of this is happening whether I want it to or not. Jesus has promised that I have something better for me waiting beyond this life anyway. So if I believe what I say I believe, then I'm going to be okay with what's coming. And in some way, shape, and form, we can kind of be excited about it too. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm terrified to have surgeries and go to the doctor and things like that. Like it's really funny, Hannah's kind of a doctor, and I hate going. I just hate going out to her office at all. And Hannah's uh, a hypocrite because she loves working on people, and she don't like the doctor either. <laughs> but I can remember when I was of the age where I needed my wisdom teeth cut out, right? And I didn't want to because the idea of surgery just, I'll be, it scares me. I don't want people cutting on me. I don't like being put under and not know what's going on. Don't like the idea of having something ripped out of my mouth. Doesn't sound fun to me. But when I needed my wisdom teeth cut out, I chickened out on it. And I'm like, nope, not doing it. Waited too long. Finally got to the point. One of my wisdom teeth started growing into the back of my other teeth, and I had a toothache for the first time. If you've ever had a toothache, it's really funny how things change your perspective of life Whenever I was sitting there, and you know, it never happens on like a Monday morning. It always happens on like Friday afternoon when it's on the weekend. And then you can't go to a dentist to get referred to a surgeon to get your wisdom teeth taken out. So I'm sitting there on that weekend, and that tooth is growing into my other teeth. And I'm in excruciating pain. I'm just like, surgery sounds great. Sign me up right now. And that next week, as soon as I could get signed up, guess what I went and did? Got my surgery done, wisdom teeth. Phenomenal. All right, it was great. And like so many things in life that we're afraid of, but when reality sets in of what's more beneficial and what's better for us in moments, it's funny how we're like, we're ready, sign me up, let's do this thing. For believers to understand that we have an eternity waiting for us, Jesus Christ loves us. There's something better waiting on the other side. And all of a sudden, that same fear that we've always had isn't quite there. And there's going to be times where you're, you're just going to, we're going to worry about it. You're going to think about it. It's going to be daunting. But that's the times we take a deep breath and we say, God, I'm putting my hope and trust in you. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to believe that what you say is true. You have something better for me waiting on the other side. And it's not just a matter of setting us free from the fear of death. Because the physical death isn't the only death that we are called to have. But it's calling us to die to this world. 
And, and there's, there's probably a greater fear for most people to die to the world, to give up the things that you could have or the potential of things to seek Christ and to follow Him. And, and there's this fear of what you're going to miss out in life versus what you're going to get and is it going to be worth it? But as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, He reveals to us, He helps us see, He opens our eyes to things that we didn't see and understand before to prepare us to make those decisions. But to understand today that you serve a Savior who might call you to give up things. He might call you to die to certain things. But you need to understand you serve a Savior who's not calling you to do anything that He did not do Himself. That's the thing about Jesus. That's a great thing about Him coming in the flesh is that He came and He did exactly what He was asking people to do all along. You know, He gave the law of Moses... He gave that law to the people of Israel in the Old Testament and they couldn't obey it. But Jesus came in the flesh and he lived fully obedient to that law in perfection. He did what no one else could do. He didn't ask us to do anything that he was not willing to do himself. He subjected himself to creation, subjected himself to the law so that he could buy us and redeem us and bring us back to himself. And he set the standard in doing it because it cost him everything. You know what you're worth? You're worth the Son of God. You're worth God himself. He came and bled and died for you so that you could have the opportunity to live the way that Jesus called you to. So that you could have the opportunity to be reborn, to have eternal life. Point number two, Jesus gave us the ability to be reborn. You know, when you think about this, the concept of being reborn and made new is it's kind of a struggle. And even Nicodemus, who was a great teacher during his time, came to Jesus in John chapter 3, and he has this conversation with him. He says, all right, Jesus, there's something different about this. Like, you know stuff that we don't know. You're doing things that we've never seen before. How do you have eternal life? And Jesus said, you cannot have eternal life unless you are reborn. And that concept like blew Nicodemus' mind. It's like, how can an old man like me go back inside my mother's womb to be reborn? And Jesus tries to explain to him the process of it's not a physical rebirth. It's a spiritual rebirth. It's something supernatural that's beyond us as human beings. And it talks about it all throughout the New Testament that the process of being reborn is a common theme of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, as Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, He says, for we are God's masterpiece and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So when you're you're looking at this, when this passage is being written, this is New Testament church, this is almost 2,000 years ago. So from the very beginning of, of Christianity and the church, they're communicating this idea that what God planned for people long ago to live outside of the world, to come out of the world, to be separated from the world, to live according to God's law, Jesus has come and bled and died so that you and I could be reborn, made new, so that we could do those good things that was planned for us long ago. So the understanding as believers in Christ that we're not just called to acknowledge Jesus with our mouth and pay Him lip service, but there's this understanding that we are to seek Him and rely on Him to make us into new creations. 
Because if you don't become a new creation, you can't do the good things that he had planned for you so long ago. That there has to be a supernatural work in your life and in your heart so that you can accomplish the things that God has called you to because we can't do it on our own. And we can't do it just staying the way that we are. It's a calling on every single life as a believer that we cannot fulfill on our own. We need the Spirit of God to change us and mold us and to give us strength to do it. Point number three. Jesus gave us the ability to be children of God. You know, it's one thing to claim to be a servant of God. It's another thing to be a slave. It's another thing to just like, oh, I belong to God. But when you talk about being a, ch- a child, it's totally different. Now, I don't know how, how you guys think about this, but children are, are, are pretty special. You know, it's like you might love kids, but for whatever reason, like your children, whether, I mean, it's, you don't even get to choose them. You know, it's like they just come out how they are. And they all come out different. They're very different from one another. And we were at a work event uh, for Hannah's work the other night. And one of her friends or sp- friend spouses or something like that, was talking about how difficult their child was being. It's like, you know, nobody tells you that you're basically just raising the unsaved version of yourself. And that's genius. I mean, it's like you think about it because for better or for worse, like your child, you don't get to pick them, but in whatever ways they represent you for better or for worse. They represent your genetics. They represent your behaviors, your attitudes, your thought processes, your, your, even some of your words. You better be real careful because even at a young age, they start just like parroting everything that you're saying and they're watching what you do and they're doing everything that you're doing. And it's not the good things. Like you can just do good things over and over again. They never do that. They always do the bad stuff because you're raising the unsaved version of yourself. You're raising a version of you that does not know Jesus Christ, has not surrendered and submitted themselves to Christ yet. And so what is their heart going to lean to? Their sinful nature. And so every bad thing you do, that's going to be the number one thing they pick up. You can teach them whatever words you want to. You slip up and say one four-letter word, that'll be the one they yell to the world for the next six months. But you love them despite how terrible they are or could be. You love them because they are yours, because they belong to you, they represent you. When you think about the aspect upon which God has for us, not only did he bleed and die for us, like not only did he sacrifice his life for us to redeem us, like so he bought us. But if you go back and you think about it, like he created you from the very beginning. He painstakingly designed you, informed you, and Scripture says He formed us in our mother's womb. And there has been a plan for us from the very beginning, the good things that He planned for us so long ago. And we are His. We belong to Him. And so we are His. And every single one of us ran away and we rebelled against Him, and yet He bought us back to be His again. He paid the price so that we could be his again. And being a child of God is such a wonderful thing. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, Paul writes to the church in Galatia. He says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. 
Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. And I don't know if you've realized this before, but there's a big difference between saying, oh, like, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Oh, yeah, God, like, I believe in God. There's a big difference between referring to God as God and yet referring to God as Father. Because what happens is, as time moves forward, and you're seeking Christ, and you're growing in your relationship with the Lord, and as you're crying out to Him, and you're praying, and you're reading Scripture, the more you grow in Christ, there's something inside of you that the Spirit is instilling in you that you begin to refer to God as your Father, rather than just your God. Because there's a need in your hearts and lives, and in my heart and life, for us to belong to him, to be his, to know that he loves us no matter what we do. Because we're not perfect, are we? You can, you can say it. Like, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. We're not going uh, to obey the law to the T because we're not Christ. We're, we're, there's there's going to be so many things in life that we fail at or we mess up or we have to go and we have to repent. But then, like, we need to know that we serve a God who refers to us as our children and we can refer to him as our father. And so through maturity in our relationship with him, we begin to cry out to him as father rather than just God or rather than just savior or rather than just master. There's a necessity for that. And, you, and Paul talks about this whole idea of the Spirit prompting us to call out to him, Abba, Father. Basically, you're calling him Daddy. It's not just this formal title of Father, but it's like you refer to him as your Daddy. Like he is the one who you know that you can go to. And you can cry out for things. And you can ask for things. And you can plead with. And then we have the privilege of becoming his heirs. You know, uh, there's a lot of people in this world who, who will live in this life and they'll never get the privilege of inheriting anything. I don't know if, how much thought you've given to that, but Proverbs says a wise and prudent man leaves his children an inheritance. But not everybody has that ability. And there's a lot of children who's going to live in this world and they're never going to get to inherit anything. And in fact, when the time comes for people before them to pass... A lot of times, children or relatives end up picking up the bill, and it's costing them to take care of those final arrangements versus receiving an inheritance. But inheritance is a wonderful blessing that most people will never get to receive. But as a child of God, you and I have the opportunity to receive an eternal inheritance. And that's a wonderful thing, because it's, it's not like... We receive things of the world that are going to pass away. Or, and, and, you know, sometimes you can receive stuff from people, a gift or an inheritance, and it's not always a blessing, is it? Like sometimes it's like, now what am I going to do with this? But what you receive from your heavenly Father is eternal, and it lasts forever. And so you're not just looking at this from a Father who's going to take care of you, and he loves you and he, he watches over you. But you're talking about this from a father who has prepared a place for you so that when the time comes, you can be with him for all of eternity. That's the love and the mercy that Christ has showed us in coming in the flesh to create that opportunity for us to receive that inheritance, to create the opportunity for us to be children of God. And it gives us the ability as children of God to come boldly before his throne. You know, you, you start talking about growing and maturing in your relationship with God. You know, I can remember I kind of went through this little 
stage in my walk where I was just like, sometimes I just felt bad about praying and just asking God for things or, you know, just mentioning things that you wanted or stuff you might feel like you need or, you know, just felt like, man, there's more important things and you feel like there's just, maybe God has more important things to do than just worry about every little thing I want to ask him for. But to understand that as we grow in our relationship with him and as he is, as he becomes more and more of our father, or basically we realize more and more how he is our father, it gives us the ability to come before him with boldness. You know, we were, we were joking about kids a while ago. It's really amazing that some of the ridiculous things that your kids can ask you for, right? Like they just like ask for some of the craziest stuff. And it's funny because the smaller they are, the younger they are, the more ridiculous things they ask for. As they get older, they start realizing a little more what's realistic and they don't ask for as much anymore. They may come and they may ask for some certain things. But it is amazing that as we grow in our relationship with Christ, <clears throat> it's almost like he said, the faith of a child. Like if we want to enter the kingdom of God, we have to have the faith of a child. What's well, amazing at how the more we grow in our relationship with Christ, the more ridiculous things that we can ask for. And you feel more comfortable asking for ridiculous things. And it may seem ridiculous to the rest of the world, but if it's important to you, it's important to him. Because if it's important to your kid, how important is it to you? If it's important to your kid, how important is it to you? If it's important to you, how important do you think it is to your Heavenly Father? And it may be peanuts, and it may not seem that important to anyone else in the world, but because he's your father, it's important to him. And it gives us the ability to come boldly before his throne. But not just the ability to come boldly before his throne when we're praying, but even thinking about the day that we know that we're going to cease to be in this world and then we're going to be in eternity and we're going to have to stand before his throne and the day that we're going to give an account for everything. And you think about what it's going to be like to stand before his throne during that time. And do you stand before his throne in fear? Because that's the problem most people fear. Most people fear the day that they pass away and they have to stand before God and then like, oh my gosh, am I going to have to give an account for everything I've ever done? Like, really? That's terrifying. There's no way he's going to let me in. But as a believer, to know that he's your father and he loved you and he bled and died so that you could be forgiven of all the things that you're afraid of to answer for, that you can stand before his throne with confidence, knowing that he loves you, he's your father, you weren't perfect, but he paid the price for it so that you didn't have to. It gives us a boldness to come before him. Point number four. Jesus gave us the ability to be holy. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but you know, the world really had very little knowledge of God leading up to the coming of Christ. Like Jesus really revealed to the world who God was. Like we had God's law. The people had God's law, but they had very little knowledge of God. You had people like Moses and some of the priests and some of the prophets who had some amazing access to God, but for the most part, people had no knowledge of God whatsoever. You and I, we live at a significant advantage today compared to the people of the Old Testament because not only do we have the knowledge of Christ and what he did and how he lived and he presented us the heart of God, but we have the Spirit of God living in us that 
continuously reveals the heart and the character of God. And as we talk about understanding who God is and his character and how much he loves us and what he wants for us, you have to understand today that he has created the ability for you and I to be holy and he wants us to be holy. And scripture says you are to be holy because I'm holy. We're supposed to mimic God. As we mimic Christ, we mimic God because Christ is God. And there's so many people who, who talk about how, oh, you know, it's like, well, well we, I'm a sinner. I sin every day. And it's like, yeah, we're all sinners, but we do not have to sin every day. Jesus came and bled and died so that we didn't have to do that. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, as the author writes and talks about how Christ is our high priest, you don't just have a Savior who created you. You don't just have a Savior who, who bled and died to buy you back. And you don't just have a Savior who ascended to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within you. But you still have a Savior who is fighting for you. Like he sits at the right hand of God and he pleads on our behalf. And in verses 14 through 16, he says, So since then we have this we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings as we do, yet he did not sin. So if you're sitting here today, you need to understand that, yes, you have a sinful nature. There's something inside of you that's always going to be drawn to the world and to the sins of the world, and that has been put there, and, and that will always be there. We talked about it last week. The spirit will always fight the flesh. As long as you dwell in this world, they're going to fight one another. But we have Jesus who came, and Jesus does not look upon you with, with, with disgust and, and just this idea of weird, this unworthiness but to understand that we have this high priest that because he came in the flesh and he subjected himself to his limitations of creation and he faced temptation just like you and I did, that he understands our weaknesses. How comforting is that? How much better does that sound than worrying about having to stand before God in judgment that you have a high priest who sits at the right hand of God, who understands your weaknesses, who endured all the same temptations that you're enduring, and yet... He pleads on our behalf. And verse 16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. We have a Savior who is still working for us. He's still redeeming us. He's still pleading on our behalf so that you and I can continue to grow and grow closer to the Lord and, and become a child of God and inherit that inheritance that we were talking about a while ago. And yeah, Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be perfect, but I do want to communicate with us today that just because we are not perfect does not mean that we have to sin every day. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul wrote to the church in Corinthians, he says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering of our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Or some of your translations might say we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ died so that we could become the righteousness of God. 
so that we could have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, that we could be righteous, that we could be sinless. And there are so many people who say, well, we're a sinner, we just sin every day. And I just want you to understand that you are not just a sinner. Like, if you claim to be of Christ, that you're not just a sinner, you've been redeemed. And it's not just this act of, there's just this one thing that happened years ago. I said, yeah, I put my faith in Christ and then that's it. And there's nothing else. But there's this kind of domino effect that should be taking place in our lives as believers. And it's not a domino effect of we're just like, we're lining up all these dominoes and we're purposefully trying to make sure we knock them down in the order that they're supposed to be in. But to understand that when we put our trust and faith in Christ and we believe in him, that that knocks down a domino, and then there's another domino that's behind that that's supposed to be something that's coming along behind. And there's more, and there's more, and there's more. And so as we put our trust and faith in Christ, we got some growing to do. And God speaks to us in very different ways. And there are people in this room that you're in very different places. Some of you have the knowledge of Christ. Some of you grew up in church. Some of you have knowledge of Scripture. Some of you in this room may not have any knowledge of Scripture or Christ at all. And your dominoes will look very different from one person to the next. But you do need to understand that as Christ calls you and you put your trust and faith in him, that it's not just a one-time thing like we knocked that domino down and now we're just done and we're just going about our merry way. But there's a domino leading into another thing that's going to be taking place because Christ has a calling on your life. And he has a purpose for you. And he has a plan for you. And he's done all this so that you can do all the good things that he planned for you long ago. And it's not a matter of you say, oh, man, like, you know, it's like you expect us to be perfect. No, I don't expect you to be perfect. What I'm telling you is, is that you don't have to buy into this short-sighted mentality of we have to sin every day. My challenge to you this morning is not for you to go out and to be sinless for the rest of your life. My challenge to you is to go out and leave today and just commit yourself to pursuing Christ so much in your life that you're committed to say, I want to go one day without sinning. One day. I want to go one day without saying anything that I shouldn't say, without letting my thoughts run in a direction they shouldn't run, without doing anything I know I'm not supposed to do. One day. Because what happens is, is that when you can go one day, because it's possible, you can go a day without sinning. Jesus subjected himself to the limitation of the law. He lived an entire life without sinning to make it possible for us to come out of the world, to be reborn, made in you, and live for him He made it possible for us not to sin. And you need to understand this morning that if you can go one day without sinning, what does that mean for all the other days? It's possible. And I challenge you not to go out and try to live the rest of your life perfectly without sin. My challenge is, it's just one day. Just go one day. Commit yourself to one day. And guess what? If you screw up tomorrow and you do something you knew you weren't supposed to do and you realize it, shoot for Tuesday. Don't just give up. Because the day that you go, that one day without sinning, you realize there's something in your mind that clicks and you understand. It's like, if I did it once, I can do it again. If God gave me the power and gave me the ability to overcome it once, I can do it again. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, as Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. You have to have the attitude this morning that even though it's your life 
even though it's your choice, it is not yours to just cling to. But the higher calling on your life as a follower of Christ is to give it up for the sake of Christ because Christ gave up his deity to come in the flesh to buy us back so that you and I could have eternal life. In verse 7 it says, Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have got to come to an understanding in our life of exactly what Jesus did so that we truly understanding the calling on our life of what Jesus wants us to do. And if he humbled himself and he became a slave and he died and he bled so that we could be redeemed, then we need to understand there's a calling on our life to die to ourselves and our wants and our hopes and our dreams in the name of Jesus. But in doing that, in doing that, you set yourself up for the better things to come. Because as Christ was elevated to the place of honor at God's right hand, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord, that as we die to ourselves, that we become children of God and we become rightful heirs to the eternal things that he has prepared for us. And it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time before you have to do it. And so in this life, you and I get to choose whether or not we do it. But there's going to come a day when it won't be a choice anymore, and at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, and you won't have a choice in it. And the great thing about it is, is typically what happens is, is if we're willing to die to ourselves now and humble ourselves now and bow to Jesus now and serve him now that when the time of judgment comes we get to stand confidently at his throne and we get to inherit eternal life as a child of God versus people who don't bow now when the day of judgment comes they will bow then and they don't get to inherit the things that you and I get to inherit they don't have access to that they don't have access to a father in heaven like you and I have But to understand what Christ did helps us to understand what Christ calls us to every day as believers. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for another beautiful day and for the opportunity to come. Jesus, I pray for every man and woman and child in this room. and God, that you would speak boldly and powerfully to them and help them to see and understand how much you love them. The great value that you set on their life when you died for them and the great calling that you've put on every single one of us. And Jesus, I pray that we would answer that calling. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to become new. Help us to serve you. We love you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.